All right. All right, so we are continuing on in our, this is the last sermon in kind of a little series we're doing on the Holy Spirit, is uh, in part of our bigger series in the book of Acts, and we've just been summarizing Acts this way, that we are proclaiming the kingdom of God through the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we got into the book of Acts, and the first thing we see Jesus do, he says, tells his disciples to wait, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and uh, we see that happen at Pentecost, and uh, since then we've been looking at, at the Holy Spirit, and we spent a number of weeks on that, and um, really I, I, I've heard it said, like uh, the, the full title of the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's probably better, you better name the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because really, he's the one doing the work through the apostles and through the early church. And so we want him to work in us, that personal part of it, and through us, that public witness. And so that's our desire, and that's why we've been studying that. And so um, today, we're into our last one. We're going to be looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but just as a review, because we need to kind of review where we've got to. It's all built on who the Holy Spirit is. We'll see that as we get into it. So pop quiz pop quiz. Um, first week, we, uh, we talked about um, just who the Holy Spirit is, the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. And uh, we looked at, at in the Gospel of John and, and what Jesus shared with his disciples before he was arrested. And so what, did, what was he called? What was some of the ways Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit in, in John there when we studied that? Comforter, yes. What other ones? Comforter. Helper. Can you think of any others? Advocate, yes. Yeah, spirit of truth. Mm-hmm. So we start to get this picture, and Jesus said, remember he's there, he's, he's comforting his disciples, and he's saying, it's better for you that I go back to heaven because then I can send the Holy Spirit, and you will do greater things than what I've done. And that, wow, so that's his comfort. And so that's the that's right, that's the names he's given. And, and, then, and then we looked at the book of Acts and all the ways he's referred to in the book of Acts. What about in the book of Acts? How is he referred to? Anybody? Sorry, power. Yes, yeah, right, that's the first one. Um, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Yes, how else? A gift, a gift and a promise, over and over, not just in Acts, but he's, he's a gift, which makes sense. Jesus said, I will go, and the Father will send him to you. A gift, a promise. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit is the assurance of our salvation, a number of scriptures that talk about that's how we know we're saved, right? Because he gives us the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And uh, yeah, what else? What about how he's pictured? He he's, he reveals himself in a couple ways in Acts, we saw at Pentecost. <laughs> fire, yes, purifying fire, presence of God fire. We see that picture throughout the scriptures. Um, wind would be the other one, breath of God, yes. And then what does he do? Then we looked, we did a sermon on, on, on what he does. What was his purpose? What does the Holy Spirit do? We've talked a couple weeks about this. He teaches us, yes. Right from John, Jesus said he will teach you. He will remind you what I've said. Yes, absolutely. Teaches us. He reminds us. What else does he do? Sorry? He guides us. Yes, he will guide us into all truth. Also from the John passage. Absolutely. What else? He convicts us. Yes. 
The Apostle John as well, that he convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. We said that word convict there was about changing our mindset, changing our perspective, correcting our worldview. That's what that means. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Anything else? Acts 1.8. Anybody got that one memorized yet? Kids do, by the way. All your kids do. That's a, it's always, <laughs> kids are memorizing way more scripture than we are. Just saying. Um, but you receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus says he will bear witness about me, right? That's a huge one. God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could bear witness to Jesus. And that's going to become really important. I really want to stress that one. That is foundational to us looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit today. Okay? And then last week we looked at Romans 8, that beautiful passage about what it means to live in the Spirit. And we talked about it's a mindset. It's not about doing more good things than we did before and be able to compare our resumes before and after we were saved. It's a heart condition where we say we have a heart desire to know Jesus more. We want to obey him. We want him to give him glory. We want our lives to bring glory to him. That's what changes when we're truly saved and we have the Holy Spirit. He creates that desire in it. We're not there yet. Someday we'll be perfect. We're not there yet, right? And so we're on this journey of sanctifying, but there's a heart desire that drives us in the right direction. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It creates a heart in us to, the desire to want to obey Jesus and to know him more. It's a relationship with a real person. And we're going to see that in one of the first verses here when we get into this. So that was really important that we go through that review because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are, that's the foundation for them. And if we forget that foundation of the purpose and the work of the Holy Spirit, you get way off base on the gifts. And this is what Paul's going to be correcting in the passage we look at today. So that's why we wanted to review. Um, just before we get there, we've been using our, our articles of faith from our denomination and going through, it's kind of just a summary of all the scriptures. So this is the last section of that and it relates to what we're looking at today. The Holy Spirit gives all believers the ability to accomplish God's purposes for their lives with spiritual abilities and gifts to use for God's glory and service to others. And so that's kind of the summary from our statement of faith and the, the, of the scriptures we're going to look at this morning. And there's this one section in the Bible that really is the go-to place for teaching on the spiritual gifts, and it's 1 Corinthians chapters 12 all the way through 14. Three chapters, okay? Um, remember Paul, it, this was one flowing letter when he wrote it, so there was no chapters and verses. This was just one flowing letter, and uh, he really addresses these spiritual gifts. So you can turn there if you have a Bible Get that out. You can turn to 1 Corinthians. We're starting right at the beginning of, of chapter 12. Um, and uh, there's not. There's one in the chair in front of you. If you need one, they will be on the screen for the most part. And uh, it's really simple. It's so well laid out. And uh, this section of passage, we're really just going to kind of walk our way through it this morning. Um, as I was preparing for this, this is verse 1. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And so I sit down like I do every week, and I ask God the same question I ask every week when I go to prepare my sermon. Lord, what do you want to say to your people from your word? And so I sat down, and this is the first verse in this section, right? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, and that could be translated brothers and sisters. It was in the NLT, if you look in the chair, chair Bible. Um, I don't want you to be uninformed. And I just went, that's, that's exactly my heart for us as a church. I just don't want us to be uninformed. And here, Paul, just context of, the, of this book, this is a letter that Paul wrote to this church, Corinth. Corinth was, it's in modern day Greece. It was a very large city, a very wealthy city. Um, 
and, but it's going through a bunch of issues. If you know 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with some pretty extreme issues, and he's also answering a number of questions. And so that wording there, now concerning, that was a phrase for saying, basically, to answer your question. And I think, again, in, in NLT that Rob read, that's how it translated it. So he's answering a specific question about spiritual gifts, but we know in, in Corinth there was a bunch of issues going on. These gifts, there was a whole bunch of gifts within the church, but they were causing division and conflict. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And so he's going to address that, and so he doesn't want them to be uninformed. And for us as a church, I just think this is my heart for us, that we, we are a collection, of, a, a group of people God has put together. We're going to see that in chapter 12, verse 18. God, it's, it's in our membership form is that verse 12 Corinthians 12 18 that God has put the body together exactly as he will so if you're a part of this church you're not here by accident it wasn't a mistake right your background it's not like oop you were supposed to be in that denomination over there no no he he put you as part of this body for the good of this body and we're going to see this when we get in that's the picture Paul gives of is a body with all these different parts all working together as part of one body with one Holy Spirit there's not a Holy Spirit for this denomination and a different one for that denomination. There is one Holy Spirit who gives gifts and works in the body. And so God has put us together, but let's just be honest, we have a variety of backgrounds. We in this congregation, we have people from charismatic, Pentecostal backgrounds, from, from Reformed, from Baptist, from all different backgrounds, all, all together in one body. And it's not an accident. God didn't make a mistake. He did that on purpose, and so why did he do that? And Paul's addressing this church, and he's going, I don't want you to be informed. And I just think it's just, God gives us the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, it's better that I go, because then I can send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to give you, individually, a gift. The very <laughs> God, the Holy Spirit, wants to give you a gift. Don't we want that? Amen? Anybody want to receive a gift from God? Yes. And so we don't want to be uninformed about the gifts he wants to give us. And uh, I think this passage, I know there's, depending on where it is, there's so many, you know, there might be concerns or apprehension, or right? But I really believe as you study this, it just, this answers so many of the questions. And if we just study what God's word here says, I think it will guard us from getting off track on the gifts. It's so clear. It's so clear. And so we're going to do that this morning. And so... Yeah, we're just going to really just walk right through it. And so to start off, here Paul, he's uh, verse 2 and 3, he's going to lay a foundation here. He says, you know, when you were pagans, that's before you were saved, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. He's alive, right? He gives gifts, and so you, you, you remember, you used to worship these mute idols. And for us today, I don't think there's very many people in our culture that worship some kind of a statue thing or something. But we have the same lifeless things. Worshiping of an idol. An idol is just what takes your, what, here's what, how I like to think of an idol. When you're making the, the life decisions, what's the chief factor that determines kind of your aim and direction in life? That's the idol. If, you're, if, you're, if, it's, if it's money, if it's power, if it's success, if it's promotion, if it's how people look at you, whatever it is that kind of drives your action, how you go about life, that is the idol in your life or idols. Whatever it is that kind of drives you in a certain direction in life. And that's what we worship. And that's what worshiping is. It's, it's giving our allegiance to. And so he's going, you used to give it to these things that couldn't actually help you. 
That's what the idols, they can't actually speak, they can't actually help you or give you purpose or meaning in life. And so, and so he's going, but then when the Spirit of God, the alive Spirit, when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, now you can say, Jesus is Lord. So what's that talking about, that Jesus is Lord? Well, back then, you were, every year they were supposed to say things like Caesar is Lord in these different festivals. If you wanted to be in the military, you take, had to take an oath where you said Caesar is Lord. If you wanted to serve in civil government, you had to take an oath where you said Caesar is Lord. And Christians said no. They said Jesus is Lord. And that word Lord, that word Lord means master. That's what the actual word meant. But not only that, by the time of Jesus' time, they'd already translated the Old Testament into Greek. Okay? And the word they use for God's proper name, Yahweh, or Jehovah, if you anglicize it kind of, um, that proper name of God, the Greek translators way back before Jesus used the same word, this, this word Lord. That's why a lot of English translations, capital O-L-O-R-D, all caps, is if you ever see that in your English translation, that is Yahweh, the proper name of God being used in your English translation. But um, anyways, I just wanted to point that out because because when we say Jesus is Lord, what we are confessing, we're saying he's master of our life. He's in charge. I've, I've turned. I'm no longer master of my life. He's the one that determines it. I'm going to be in obedience to him. And we're saying he is God. We're, we're proclaiming Jesus' divinity when we say that. And that's what someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they can't do that. This Jesus is accursed. What they were, they're, he's talking because the Jews... The Jews said, no, no, Jesus can't be the Messiah. He can't be God. He can't be Lord because he was hung on a tree. And there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. And so they're like, no, no. And so that's why they, they wouldn't believe in Jesus. That's why they thought he was blaspheming when he called himself God. That's why they crucified him, right? And so the Jews wouldn't accept Jesus as Lord. And then the Greeks and the Romans, their idea of God was gods are always the most powerful, most blessed, right? That's why Caesar kind of elevated himself to a god because he was the most powerful human on the planet, right? And so he saw himself as a god. And so for the Romans and the Greeks and that, they're looking at it and they're going, no, Jesus can't be God. He can't be Lord because look, at he was a poor carpenter and he ended up dying a criminal's death. So there's no way he can be. And so they both rejected. And it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can truly say, Jesus is Lord, and so that's the foundation for the gifts. Paul starts off and he goes, look at the, the foundation is you have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You have to have a life where you're committed, where you're saying, with your life, you're saying, not just uttering the phonetic sounds with your mouth, your life is living. Jesus is Lord. That's your life. And you can't have a spiritual gift without that. That's the foundation. That's what it means to be a true Christian. And that's the start. And so he reminds them of that. And that's important for us as well. And maybe for you today, I don't know, maybe you don't have that assurance that that's where you are. You haven't made Jesus Lord of your life. You might believe the facts about him, but the Bible says even the demons know the facts about Jesus. You have to surrender your life to him. He has to be your Lord. And if, and if, it, if that's a step you need to take, that's the first step. Before that, you can't, there's no gifts <laughs> before, without Jesus as Lord. And then he carries on, and he's going to get right into the gifts he starts with. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, or that word could be ministries, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. 
Um, that word, now there are, a variety, there are varieties of gifts. That word gifts is, is charismata. So you can see right there, that that's where we get the word charismatic. It's from that word right there, a variety of gifts. Um, and, and it means it's a miraculous gift. It's a God-given, it's a miraculous gift. That's what that word means. But the same Spirit. And so Paul starts off, he's like, okay, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, he gives a variety of gifts. Not all the same to everybody. So he starts right off the bat and he's going, look, at, there's going to be a diversity of gifts. We're not all going to have the same one. And yet, they're all given by the same Spirit. And what's so important to see here, and you can see, is that, is that why we reviewed did that pop quiz at the beginning, is because if the Holy Spirit is going to give a gift, it's going to be in order to fulfill his purpose, his work, right? And so that's one of the things, that's the foundation for the gifts that protects us from getting off track, is that we can know for sure that if the Holy Spirit has given a gift, it's going to be in order to achieve those things we talked about, to comfort you, to help you, to be a with own purpose. But that's not the purpose of the gift. It is given in order for the Holy Spirit to fulfill the work that he has, that he was sent for and given to us for. And secondly, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so not only is it going to achieve his purpose, but it's for the good of everyone. The gifts aren't to, supposed to just be for just you. That's right. A gift is for someone else. He gives us these gifts. It's for the common good. And so these are the two truths. We have these two truths. This is another verse from 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace giving the same, same idea. So here's two truths, two points, two foundational elements to help us understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to be, follow these two truths. Um, true gifts of the Holy Spirit, they will fulfill the purpose and work of the Holy Spirit to help comfort, convict, teach us of Jesus' commands, help us be a witness for him. Every gift of the Holy Spirit is going to do that, truth number one. Secondly, they're going to be for the benefit of others for the common good, for the building up of the church we're going to see in, in a couple of verses. The Holy Spirit does do other things, like we know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anybody know that song? It's a great way to remember it. I tell you, kids' songs are awesome. They help you remember. So the fruits of the Spirit, right? Every Christian should be growing in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's for the rest of our life. We should be growing in love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness. Every Christian. But the gifts, as we've already seen, are varied. The gifts, he gives certain gifts to certain people, and sometimes it's at different points in your life, right? Depending on the gift. And so gifts, are, they're both from the Holy Spirit, but the gifts are different than the fruit of the Holy Spirit, because the fruit is every Christian throughout their whole life should be growing in it. The gifts are for the common good. Look at these gifts. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. First one, utterance of wisdom. So what's that? So utterance of wisdom. So wisdom, I think I said a couple of weeks ago, wisdom is knowledge applied, right? Like you can have lots of knowledge and not be wise. Actually, you're a greater fool if you have lots of knowledge and don't apply it, right? Like that makes you more of a fool. So, so wisdom is knowledge applied. It's simply being able to apply the truth of God to a situation. And so this one in our day today if anybody goes, if there's someone you go to for counsel to help you in a difficult situation, they probably have the gift of wisdom. They, a good Christian counselor would probably have the gift 
of wisdom because they're able to take and help you out of a difficult situation using the truth of God. The second one, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. And knowledge is just that. It's, it's, it's understanding information. And so lots of you have a, are great teachers. And it's probably because you have this gift of knowledge. You're able to take lots of information and understand it and convey it and help other people understand it. That teaching gift, right? That's, there's an there's a element there of, of knowledge. Um, also with this one, um, there is something, and I just wanted to mention it, um, a word of knowledge. If you come from maybe more charismatic backgrounds, you might have heard of a, a word of knowledge. That would be where someone says, is able, it says something, God reveals something to say, like maybe you're trying to help counsel somebody, and God tells you, like, hey, something happened to them when they were a kid or something like that, right? That would be a word of knowledge, something you couldn't have known, but God gives you this knowledge that you wouldn't have known in order for you to, again, we go back to those two foundational truths that have to be there, which is in order to comfort, help, build up the church, witness to Jesus, right? And so that would be the other, the other um, example of an utterance of knowledge. To another faith, or that could be faithfulness, by the same spirit. Anybody know someone that just has that, that their Christian walk is so steadfast, doesn't matter the situation, you look to them, they're just a picture of just faith through ups and downs. I mean, you know, yeah, so I am back there. Yeah, those types of people, that's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Those people we go to because we just admire, we need those in the church. The people that don't get tossed to and fro, like it says in James, right? That are able just to, just to, their faith is so strong. That's a gift. To another, gifts of healing by, one, by the one spirit. And this would be, this gifts again is, is charismatic. It's, it's a miraculous gift. And so we know we've seen God heals in a number of ways. Sometimes he heals through common grace of our medical system. He's always the one doing the healing. Sometimes it's instant healing. Sometimes, right? Anybody, anybody know anybody or experience kind of instant healing? Yeah, see a couple hands back there. Yes, amen. We've heard some of those testimonies, right? So it goes back again to the Holy Spirit's the one that's doing the work. And sometimes he chooses to do that. And he gives those gifts of miraculous healing, a gift of healing. Um, to another, the working of miracles. That just covers the rest of the spectrum of those miraculous gifts. To another, prophecy. Prophecy. So this one I need to take a moment to talk about a little bit. So prophecy is, a, it, re- it literally just means to speak forth. And in, in the Bible, it refers to a, a message from God. So, but it, it's such a broad, broad thing because we have, you think about it, if you go in the Old Testament, we had prophets who were kind of s- set apart by God for the nation of Israel, and they literally said, thus saith the Lord, and then they'd speak what the Lord, they were God's mouthpiece to the people, and we have those books of the Bible, minor prophets, major prophets, right? And so those were, there, there was that kind of prophecy spoken by prophets. In the New Testament, you have the apostles, and, and similar, like with Paul, he would say, remind people, this God, this is a command from God, Right? We don't have that anymore. We don't have prophets in that way or apostles in that way anymore today. We have the completed word of God, right? And so we don't have it in that way. But we do still have prophecy just from the idea of, of it being a message from God. That we still have. Um, but we now have the, the inerrant, inspired word of God to put it against, right? And we're going to see that as we go on. Paul's going to point that out. But we have that. And so now what does prophecy look like? Well, one of the things would be 
kind of what I'm doing now, right? Would be preaching where we take the word of God and we give a message to God's people from his word. That would be kind of a form of prophecy in that way where you're taking God's message to his people. Now you have to be good Bereans, as Paul would say. You have to take it and compare it to God's word. Make sure, don't take anything I say. That's why you have your Bibles open, okay? But uh, that would be one. It's, it's, it's just, it's a message from God to us as people. Or um, there would also be, if anybody's ever received a word of, uh, a prophetic word from someone, I've received one from, from someone here. And, uh, and we do just like, we'll see some of the steps that we put it through that steps of, does it align with God's word? Obviously, it will never contradict the, the God's word that the Holy Spirit inspired, right? And so you put it against that, and then you go through those other things. Does it achieve the work of the Holy Spirit? Does it comfort and build up and edify? Does it witness to Jesus? Does it glorify God? And you put it through that filter, and you go, okay, all right, and we take that. And so that's the process we do. First John, not Gospel of John, First John chapter 4 kind of has a, a steps to go through when it comes to those, if you want to look at that further. But that would be prophecy, and I wanted to say a little more on that one because Paul's going to go into more detail on that later on. Prophecy and tongues seem to be the two that Corinth was really struggling with, so he really zooms in on those. And then he ends it with that. Oh, oh, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. This would be, it makes sense, you remember the context of Corinth, they're, they're in a mess right now with all these gifts, it's creating all kinds of conflict and division, and so it would be good for the Holy Spirit to give someone a gift to say, that one's not real, that one's fake, that one's a lie, that one's not true, right? And so we thank God for providing a gift like that in order to discern those things, because we do need to discern. That's what 1 John 4.1 is about. Um, and then lastly, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. And so I would take this um, it to be both other languages, like we see in Acts chapter 2, um, as well as heavenly praying language, which we'll, you'll kind of see Paul allude to as he goes in in chapters 12 and 14. Um, he'll kind of use some language that makes you kind of think, yeah, that sounds like that's a talks about personally praying to God and stuff like that. I think he, Paul here is just, when he says various kinds of tongues, he's just trying to cover the whole, the whole gamut. But again, we look at this, and you look at what happened in Acts chapter 2, and tongues, right? And they speak in other languages. What was the result? 3,000 people saved in Peter's first sermon, right? There's the evidence of a true gift of the Holy Spirit. He comes upon the apostles. They speak in these other languages. They glorify God in these other languages. It draws a huge crowd. Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people saved. How's that for checking the boxes? Witness to Jesus, glorifies God, comforts the people. Check, 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 right? He quotes scripture. Peter, you know, uses Joel 2 as his foundation for his sermon, right? Aligns with scripture. That's, that is a, a great example of the gifts of the Holy Spirit being used for the purpose that he has. <clears throat> and here's how it kind of ends. And, and all these empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That's the summary. We've already kind of said this this morning, but that's really the key thing when it comes to the, to the fruits of the Holy or the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that it's the Holy Spirit who gives them. He's the one that appoints them. We don't, we don't go trying, it's not, we don't go out trying to, to do some kind of a formula to try and get this one or that one. No, we, our heart's desire, what we do, is we want to glorify God, we want to witness to Jesus, we want to build up the church, and then 
we come before the Holy Spirit humbly to say, Holy Spirit, give us whatever gift, whatever gift will best help us do that, achieve that, the mission you have given us, that's what we want. And then it's up to him. He's the one that gives the gifts. And the next section, I'm, I'm not going to read through it for sake of time this morning, but it's, Paul goes in and he gives this beautiful picture of the body, of like a, a body. And he talks about hands and ears and, and uh, how not all the parts of the body are the same, yet they all have the same purpose. We're all part of one body. And, he, and so he points out that, look it, you're not all going to have the same gift. You're not all going to have um, work the same ministries and that, but you all have the same spirit. You're all part of the same body. And God's the one that put it together. It's for just as the, as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. For them it was Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. For us, whatever background you have, God has put us into one body. We are all made to drink of the one spirit. And then down at verse 18, I love this one. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. So that's the foundation of it. God has put us here. If you're part of Huron Chapel, he has put us here with all the background and whatever you come from, and he wants to give us a gift in order to build up the body so that we can carry out this mission that he has given us. So how do we do that? It ends chapter 12 with this, verse 31. And he tells us to earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire. So these are, we can desire the gifts, but again, it's from a heart of saying we, our desires for God's mission to be a witness for Jesus. We come with that attitude. And, and then he's the one that gives the gifts. And then he says, and I will show you the most excellent way. And now it goes into chapter 13, the famous love chapter. Anybody read the love chapter at their wedding? I got my hand up. Yeah. Completely wrong context. Not saying it doesn't apply. Again, I did it at my wedding. The truth of what love is is the truth of what love is, so it certainly applies. But we'll see here the actual context of 1 Corinthians 13 is really to do with the gifts. And uh, it's, it's so clear as we go through it. And so this is when we, when we have, we want to have, we desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill the mission Jesus has given us. Well, how do we go about that? Here's the critical thing. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Look at all these, these gifts he mentions here. You're going to see they're the same ones that he talked about earlier. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and I have all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body up to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Right? This is how he's correcting. Corinth had tons of gifts. Church of Corinth had all kinds of gifts. And it, was, and it was creating chaos and division and hurting the church. And he's going, what was the problem then? It wasn't that they didn't have them. It's that they weren't using them properly. It's that they weren't founded on love. Right? Love is the thing that keeps, that guards us. It's the guide rails that makes sure that we use the gifts the Holy Spirit does properly. It's what helps us actually achieve the purpose of why he gave them. It's love. And then if you go into this next section, I just want you to have that picture in mind. Whatever gift, whatever you, you, your understanding is of the gifts or what you've seen, or you think of our church, think of what God's trying to do, think of gifts God has given you. Think of it in this light. Love is patient and kind. 
We need to be patient and kind with one another when it comes to spiritual gifts, right? We're all growing in them. We're all learning. We're all looking to use those things. We need to be patient with one another. We need to be kind with one another when it comes to us trying to exercise the gifts God has given. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude, right? And so we need to be careful that whatever gift you've given, we do as humans. That whole section we paraphrase through, we do this as humans where we, where we elevate certain ones as to be way greater than other ones, right? Or we dismiss that one or we get critical of that one. And he's going, no, we have to be careful of that. Love, a proper attitude of the spiritual gifts, is not rude or arrogant or envious or boastful. It doesn't insist on its own way. We be humble when it comes to the gifts as a body, when we look around, we see how different people, the different gifts that they have, we have a humble, we don't assume, we don't judge them on how they are, we don't think that they've got it wrong or we've got it right. We're humble in our approach. It's not irritable or resentful, right? Exactly that. It does not re- rejoice at, wrong don't, at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I have to say, we have to be careful on... You go, you go YouTube, gifts of the Holy Spirit, the algorithm starts doing its thing, you can find just, Christians can have some of the most hateful speech to one another, just tearing each other to pieces over these things, right? And rejoicing in wrongdoing. Yeah, people twist and do it wrong. Yes, there is, there is wrong ways of the spiritual gifts, people have, are using them wrongly, are faking them. They're, that's reality. That's true. That happens. But the guard is not to tear it down, rejoice in the wrongdoing. Right? That's not the result. It's to love. It's to return. It's to put it through that filter of God's word. It's to always desire that we would be a witness to glorify God. That's how we protect ourselves. It rejoices with the truth. That's the solution. That should be our response when we see it being re- misused, right? We should point people to the truth. We should point people to, to the witness of Jesus. We should point people to the glory of God. That's what the gifts are supposed to result in. And then, for us as a body, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. That's our approach, our desire, as we look to grow as a body. We want to see God do more in our midst. We need to have this attitude where we bear with one another. We believe in one another, and what they're trying to do. Believe each other's hearts. We hope for all things. We endure all things. For love never ends. And then Paul just gives this, this kind of argument. He points to the fact, he goes, we, sometimes we put way too much emphasis. Corinth was doing this anyways. Way too much emphasis on, on certain gifts. And he just points out that, look at these are all temporary. Most of these gifts that we experience here in this life they're, they're not going to be needed in heaven. We're going to get to see him face to face. That's what this is. And so he's returning us that the, the most important thing is that glory of God, which will be in heaven, glorifying God, and the love for God and for one another. That will still be there. That's what's going to remain. But these other things are temporary. They're just for this life. Still to be desired, still to be exercised. But let's keep it in, in its right place. Because as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up the childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly.
but then we'll see face to face. Looking forward to that, aren't we? Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Um, and then to finish off, he goes in chapter 14, he finishes with um, getting right at a particular issue that Corinth was dealing with, prophecy, particularly tongues. Um, we're not going to go through it um, in detail. I do have, I printed off a couple sheets um, at the back. There's a pink sheet with my notes, notes I made at the info desk. There's also one from our denomination. Um, we don't really deal with tongues in our church very much um, in terms of a, in, within a corporate setting. Um, but if we did, we would follow 1 Corinthians 14. That's why God put it in there, okay? And so um, that's there. But uh, what I want us to see is, from this passage, is the point again, the purpose, because that's really what I want us to take from this morning. We should eagerly desire the gift. So look at this, 14.1, it says, Pursue love. There's that foundation again, the grace commandment. Jesus gave it, love God and love others. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Right? That was the point of this morning. I don't want you to be uninformed. Holy Spirit wants to give us a gift. He wants to do a work among us. He wants to give us gifts for his mission, for the witness of Christ, for the glory of God, for comfort, for teaching, for all these things. We want those things. And so, I just, to read through these first couple of verses, see if you can pick up, it should be easy because I highlighted it, um, pick up, this, there's your guideline. Here's, the, here's, the, here's how we'll close. This is what the gifts, this, should be the, this is what the result should be as we look to um, receive and exercise the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, and no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now he's obviously the main issue in Corinth was tongues and prophecy, but this can be applied to any of the gifts of the Spirit. The whole point it's for the common good like we read. It's for upbuilding, encouragement, consolation to build up the church, that the church may be built up. And if you read through the rest of chapter 14, you'll see him emphasize that over and over and over. That is the purpose of the gifts, and it could apply to any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So you yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, we want the Holy Spirit to give gifts for us as a church. Here's what we do. Strive to excel in building up the church. You don't strive for, for the gifts themselves. Our goal is to strive for the building up of the church, for the witness of Jesus. And in doing that, that's what we strive for. He gives the gifts. What then, brothers, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. I know that was a lot there. Please, let's talk to each other. Come talk to me after. Um, we would like, this is something that as a church we want to be growing in. We don't want to be uninformed about the gifts. We want to receive whatever God has for us for his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your gifts. 
We thank you that you give gifts in order to build up the body. And that is our desire. We desire that, that you would build us up, that we would um, grow to, to know you, Jesus, more. We want to grow in our witness of you. We want boldness to speak about you to those that don't know you. Um, we pray that you would um, give gifts to people here in our church, Lord, that we would build one another up for the common good and uh, that we would be 